Matthew 16, 21 through 28. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there's some of these who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of God, until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, as I read through this uh, a couple of weeks ago, I began to see something and I want to start talking to you about it by first of all, recounting something that happened after church at our house this past Sunday. We had a lot of our family over and among those who were there was our only great granddaughter and her name is Millie. Amelia, but they call her Millie. Millie is uh, going to be two in July, is it? Sometime in July. But uh, anyway, so she's not two years old yet. and But she walks and she talks. You may not understand what she says, but she talks. <laughs> and so as we were uh, all a family visiting and catching up on things, I noticed that Millie had picked up her shoes and she was walking like she had something to do. And so she walked up to her mom and she uh, got her mom's attention and she held up her shoes, wanting her mom to put her shoes on her. And her mom just said, no, no, we're not going to do that right now. So Millie, little almost two-year-old that she is, just threw herself on the floor. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't throw a hissy fit, but she voiced her displeasure and, uh, and just uh, lamented the fact that her mom wouldn't put her shoes on her. And that only lasted a second or two. And then she got back up and kind of straightened herself up and took her little shoes and headed out until she found her father. And she walked up to her father 
and she got her father's attention and he was talking to somebody. He looked down and uh, with just a look of love on his face, he just reached down while he was still talking and he picked up little Millie. She was in her hands and he paid attention to Millie. He spoke to Millie and Millie jabbered something back and they talked back and forth a bit. And then uh, he took the shoes and he put the shoes aside and they just went on and uh, she totally forgot her agenda. You see, she had an agenda and her agenda was she wanted to get her shoes on so she could go outside. She wanted to go outside so she could look at our swimming pool. And uh, she had things that she wanted to do. And she had a plan, you see. Millie had an agenda. But what changed her agenda was her loving father, who was able to pick her up, pay some attention to her and love on her, and make her forget about her own agenda and join in on his agenda. I say all this just to say that Peter had an agenda. And a lot of times we all have agendas and we don't even know that we have them. Uh, Peter had a, a socio-politico-religio-ethno uh, uh, agenda of some sort. It involved the, his Jewishness. It involved uh, the state of Israel. It involved the coming of the Messiah. The, it involved his being a part of this great thing that was going on with Messiah coming. But you see, his agenda for the Messiah and God's agenda for the Messiah were two different agendas and they clashed. And this can happen to us. Sometimes our agenda is going to clash with God's agenda. And what do you do when those clash? It's important how we handle that because you see, and this is what Jesus basically is telling uh, Peter whenever he says this. Let's see, let's find it in 16, uh, 23. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. Uh, some translate that a hindrance. You are a hindrance to me. And uh, then he says, for you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. He wasn't putting God first. Now, Jesus had, Jesus could say this because he put God first. It's not going to be long before he's going to be struggling, struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane, saying, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus had his heart set on the Heavenly Father's agenda, you see. And he wasn't going to let anything stand between him and his Father 
and his father's agenda. Now, Peter grew. Peter changed. This was a human, humongous rebuke. But this humongous rebuke, we need to take to heart because have you ever stopped and thought, what's your real agenda in life? What's your overarching agenda in life? And does God even play a part in it in the right way? There are a lot of people that think that what God's there to do is just help us along with our own agendas. And uh, if he's not helping us, then forget God. That seems to be their, their way of looking at things. But I look around and I see people, and I've seen people all my life, that uh, they have their own agendas. They have their own goals and dreams and the things that they're headed for and that they think is going to provide them with what they really need out of life. Uh, I was just thinking about it. You know, there are a lot of women that think that the most important thing for them to do is to get married and be a mom. And uh, that's it. I mean, they don't look beyond that. That's it. That's as far as their agenda goes in life. And so number one is get a husband. And they'll do anything to get a husband. It's terrible. I remember there's one woman uh, in, in the first major job I had in our office. Uh, it was incredible. She would, we, we were in this huge office of this just, just line after line of desks. And uh, uh, you know, we were in the claims department. Over on the other side was the group health department. Anyway, we're all on this one huge floor, just rows of desks. And we could all hear each other talking a lot of time. Anyway, this one woman, the she would let it be known that she was just out to have a good time, no strings attached. And uh, the next thing you know, I'd hear her on the phone saying, why won't you let him go? He loves me. And she would be trying to break up somebody's marriage because somebody's husband took her up on the no strings attached thing. And now then... Uh, he was supposed to divorce his wife and, uh, and be, uh, be hers. And, uh, I, I remember her going through that three times while I was there. I mean, she would, it was just these poor guys. Anyway, that's, that was just it. But I've seen this so many times where that's just what they were after, you know, was just, just get a husband by hook or by crook, you know, just gotta have a man. And so, and anyway, there's so many different, short-sighted agendas that they think this is what's going to make me complete. This is going to make me who I am and explain why I'm here. And uh, there's so much more to life than these short-term agendas. It's okay to have them. It's okay to have plans. But whenever your plans and God's plans do not line up, you need to make sure that you're giving way to God's plans. And as long as you're looking for his plans, then everything else around you is going to make more sense. 
I'm going to start a series, I think, uh, probably next week or the week after that called The Signs of the Times. Because as you look and you see the state of our uh, country right now, the state of the world right now, uh, some people are just throwing their hands up in the air and going crazy because they think the world's just going to heck in a handbasket. And it is. But if you look at the Bible, you see that it was all a part of God's plan. It's going to happen. And you can have peace in the midst of this storm while all this stuff is going on. And then you can start thinking, okay, so Lord, what am I supposed to do to be a part of your agenda? Because you see, we, we, we can't fight against God. God's stuff's going to come about no matter what. But you can be a part of what he's got going on. And uh, he doesn't want any of these people that are just going crazy right now to perish. And he wants you to be loving on them and bringing as many of them into the kingdom as you possibly can. And so, uh, but see, his agenda is there. It's laid out big time. And but we need to see it and handle it the way that God wants it handled. Not by just making those people straighten up. There's more to it than that. So uh, anyway, there's so many people that have these agendas. and uh, They have determination. They're pushing hard for their agenda. But they have no peace. No peace. Because they don't know the peace that passes understanding that comes from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, I told you that Peter grew. Uh, one of the places that we see that he grew was uh, whenever there was a, uh, uh, let's see, Philip had brought a certain bunch of people to know Jesus as Lord and Savior in the book of Acts. And then uh, uh, they called the disciples to come because, and, and to uh, lay hands on them and pray for them so that they could receive the Holy Spirit. And there was a guy named Simon. Simon the sorcerer was there and he'd come to know Jesus and uh, he'd, he'd received him as Lord and Savior and been baptized. And, and he watched as the disciples laid hands on people and they received the Holy Spirit. And he said, I want that. I want to be able to lay hands on people and for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And so he offered Peter money to give him the gift of laying hands on people so they'd receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter rebuked him soundly and told him that he was just on the brink of hell. And just really, I mean, his words were scary so much so that Simon uh, broke down and said, pray for me that all this stuff that you're saying is not going to happen to me. And so here is Simon. Now here is Peter uh, rebuking Simon because Simon was about another agenda besides God's agenda. Now I'll back up a little bit to Cornelius's house and we'll see how he got there because you, you see, it wound up uh, that uh, Peter had this vision of a sheep being lured and filled with all sorts of different unclean animals and stuff. 
And then the Lord tell him, arise, Peter, take and eat. And he said, oh, no, 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 Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm a good Jewish boy. I don't do that sort of thing. And then he says, what I've made clean, don't you call unclean. And right at that time, there was a knock on the door. And somebody wanted him to go to a Gentile's house, Cornelius, because he had been seeking the face of God. And the way you find the face of God is by finding Jesus. And so uh, Simon went with this person to Cornelius' house. And this is just it. Jewish men did not enter a Gentile's house. You didn't want to get Gentile cooties. You didn't want to wind up being made unclean by being in an unclean atmosphere. And so I'm sure that Peter stood at that door with all of his parents' admonitions and all the training that he'd had and the washing and the cleansing after you come out of the marketplace where you might have touched something that an unclean person might have touched. And all of this was going through his heart as he stood there at Cornelius' doorstep. And the words of our Lord echoing in his heart, what I have made clean, don't you call unclean. And all of this is going on with all the other training that he's had all through his life. And so he takes a deep breath and he steps across that threshold into Cornelius's house. And then he goes up on the roof and he starts telling all these people about Jesus and the Holy Spirit falls on them just like it fell on all those disciples at Pentecost. And all Peter could say is, who are we to withhold water from those who have received the Spirit in the same way that we did? Now you see, that was like another conversion for Peter. Because everything that he had been taught up to this point was really good people don't do this. And yet the Lord says, do it. And so he did it. And so Simon Peter went on through life having event after event where he unlearned the agendas that he'd been taught and relearned what the Lord wanted of him. And that should be what each one of us is doing. And whenever there is a clash, God's agenda needs to take precedence in our life. Ah. Uh, you know, may your God may have given you your agendas even before you came to know him. And after you come to know him, he may totally change your agendas. He may want to just be Lord over your agendas. It may be that what you want isn't a bad thing, 
but there's more to be had. Um, so anyway, I'll just let that go at that. But your agendas should never overshadow or replace his. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. As people look at you, what sort of overarching agenda do they see? What's the fruit that they see when it comes to agendas? Uh, I can remember there was a time in my life when my main agenda was to be successful. And to me, being successful meant, first of all, make a lot of money. And then after that, uh, there was power, prestige, uh, pleasure, and prosperity. Those were the things that I wanted out of life. And uh, uh, you, were, you were successful whenever you were a person in the community and you had enough money. And, uh, and it showed. And uh, I discovered uh, after, then, then the Lord called me the ministry. And uh, all of a sudden, Sharon and I were doing very well at that point in time. And all of a sudden, we were P-O-R-E, poor. I mean, we had to leave everything to follow him. And it was fine because uh, we were about his business. And we, you see, my agenda had brought me to the place where I had everything that I thought was going to make life worth living, and it was nothing. I was tired of living and scared to die. And all of a sudden, the Lord gave me another agenda. Just be the best me for him that I could be. Just uh, do what he wanted me to do. Live the life that he called me to live. And, uh, and I had no idea what that should really look like, except whenever I knew what he wanted me to do, just to do it. And so he called us into the ministry. He, we got sent off to seminary and all sorts of other stuff. And, uh, I didn't realize you don't think about all these. I had a, I had worship agendas. I had church agendas. I knew, I knew how church should be. I knew what a worship service ought to be like. And so in his grace, the Lord sent me to a spirit-filled United Methodist Church, a church that was filled with people that spoke in tongues, whom I had never even knew what those were. Uh, well, I, I did because I'll tell you what happened was uh, uh, we went to hear a neighbor of ours invited us to go hear a guy called Nicky Cruz. He was the the subject in the the movie The Cross and the Switchblade, and. Uh, uh, so we went to hear Nikki Cruz at this church, and as they prayed during the service, it got very quiet, and all of a sudden this woman started speaking a language I didn't recognize. And then somebody else said something in a language I could recognize. Driving home, I mentioned to Sharon. Now, you've got to realize I'm a modern language major, and linguistics is something that really I, I'm interested in. And uh, uh, analyzing language, you know, the science of language. And so I, I mentioned to Sharon, I said, I wonder what, what language that was that lady was speaking. It sounded like some, some Indian dialect of some sort. And, uh, and Sharon said, Joel, she was speaking in tongues. 
And I said, well, I know that, but what tongue was she speaking? That's what I'm talking about. And uh, so uh, uh, she said, it's an unknown tongue. Nobody knows this. What do you mean nobody knows it? You know, anyway, I wanted to go back and take a tape recorder. I was going to analyze this. They weren't going to be any unknown tongues. I was going to take care of that. But I just, I was totally foreign to me. So he sends me to a church where a lot of people speak in tongues. I remember one of the first services I went to, Edith Gatewood came forward to be prayed for. She was 75 years old. And all of a sudden, she just fell out on the floor. And people just looked at her and they just kept walking around and talking. And so, what is going on here? These people are the, the most cold hearted. Gatewood's had a heart attack, probably died. They're just stepping around her. What's going on here? And anyway, and after a while, she, uh, she kind of came to praise the Lord a bit and got up and went on about her business. And so I learned, you know, one of those, there's a, a, um, a saying in first aid, don't just do something, stand there. Well, I learned to do that when I first go into a church. You don't just do something, you stand there because you're going to learn how they do things, what, and you learn. Anyway, I learned that firsthand there because things were so different than what I'd ever seen before. And then they had a guest preacher and he was preaching about the walls of marching around Jericho. And all of a sudden I was wondering what he had in this big old briefcase he had. And he got to the place that, and they, and then they stopped and they blew their horn. And he reached in that briefcase and pulled out a big old cow horn and he blew that cow horn oh you know about three different times right in the middle of church i levitated about this high out of my seat i just couldn't i was shocked you know in a church you don't blow cow horns and the spirit moved you could just sense the presence of the Holy Spirit there. And he blew a cow horn. You know, that was just not on my agenda for worship. And so the Lord taught me whenever my agenda didn't line up with his to just let it be and to uh, get on his agenda. And so, uh, you know, I had my own ideas and, and we all, all of you, you know, I've, I've seen, gosh, growing up, you know, I was, uh, there are a lot of men that just, that whenever they're in church, they never sing. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, it's a rule. Men don't sing. They just stand there and look sour faced. That's, and you can't tell if it's the spirit moving or gas because, uh, that's just the way that they are. You know, that's their agenda. But you know, it's not that they're not worshiping. It's just that's the way they've been taught to worship. And so, uh, anyway, it's, it's so important that you be open to the agenda that God has to you. And if I'd gone around trying to correct all these people in this church, uh, you got to find what he wants you to work on. Now then, I discovered ministry that needed to be, I needed to be ministered to by them, but some of them had some things wrong. Some of them thought 
that God was super Santa Claus. And all that it was about was just, uh, uh, you know, you just, uh, you see, you delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart, you know. And Lord, I want a brand new Cadillac. And so I'm just, I'm going to praise you and you go give me a Cadillac. And uh, that's not what it's about. If you delight yourself in the Lord, you're going to be delighting yourself in the things that delight him. Not that the delight you and then your desires and his desires will line up. And that's when you can say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea. It'll be cast in the sea, but not whenever you just decide, I'm going to go show the power of God, get this mountain cast in the sea. Doesn't work like that. But a lot of them didn't have that down. And so there were things I had to call to their attention they looked at the Bible and they would say, it says, if you do this, this, and this, God must do this. No, no, you never carry that. You don't have God by the Bible. The God grasps you through the Bible. And so there were so many things that uh, we had to get, that, that I had to learn. I had agendas needed to be changed. They had agendas that needed to be changed. And so it's been in every church I've ever been in. Oh, my goodness. One of the ways that places it really cropped up was in another large church that I was serving. And uh, everybody was wanting to have a contemporary worship service. You know, everybody wants the contemporary worship. And so uh, I made the mistake of putting my associate in charge of starting a contemporary worship service. Now, this particular church, the Indian, the chiefs outnumbered the Indians about 25 to 1. I mean, lots of leaders and not many followers in this church. And uh, so whenever the committee got together, they all had their own agenda as to what a contemporary worship service was supposed to be like. And that entailed in what was supposed to happen, what time it was supposed to be. And they were all over the pages. They were different places. And then my associate had her own idea and she was really set in her agenda. And so they butted heads for like three months and none of them able to budge from their agenda. So finally, I just pulled the plug on it. I said, if y'all can't, if y'all can't be loving enough to be of one accord to bring something about for the church, you don't need need to be working on it. And so just forget about it, you know? So what we did. And some of them weren't happy about that, but, uh, but the, it was just, it wasn't the right time. And it was the right person leading it. That was my mistake. I don't really think it's my mistake, really, just to be honest with you. Uh, you're supposed to try to, to, to empower people and help people along. But anyway, it just wasn't the right timing then. So that was, uh, uh, there was their agenda. Th- those people, their agendas were so strong that we were, we were filling up our, uh, evening, uh, 
candlelight service, we were overflowing. There was not enough room for everybody. And so I suggested we start another service to have two candlelight services instead of one. And uh, so as we were talking, one woman on our worship committee said, well, what time would this be? And uh, we talked about that, and we pretty well agreed on what the time was. And then she said, well, I can't, we can't do that. I said, why? Because my, my kids might want to go to this service whenever I want to go to this service. And I want my kids with me at the, at the evening candlelight service. I was thinking, why don't you just find out which service your family's going to and go with them, woman? You know, I mean, but they were so set in their agenda that they could not hear anything other than things being the way that they wanted them to be because they knew the right way. And uh, so as you can, you see, we can have religious agendas, we can have political agendas, but are they the Lord's agendas? And that's the most important thing. So, it says you'll know them by their fruit. As people look at you, do they see the Lord's agenda playing out in your life? I can remember some of the people in my past. I remember I was the president of the uh, Ministerial Association in uh, Jacksonville at one time, Jacksonville, Texas. And there was a be a Baptist Missionary Association seminary there. And Dr. Duggar, the president of that seminary, was a godly man. And I had the privilege of getting up and uh, saying a few words on behalf of uh, the city uh, and uh, the ministerial alliance uh, to, uh, to him and about him in a, in a farewell uh, meeting that we were having. And uh, so did the mayor and a bunch of other people. All sorts of officials got up and just lauded him to high heaven. Dr. Dr. Duggar got up at the end and he said, I take all of these accolades that you have all so graciously heaped upon my brow and I just humbly lay them at the feet of Jesus because if you've seen anything good in me I assure you you are seeing him not me that says a lot about his agenda I had a, a neighbor back whenever uh, well, we had a neighbor that lived right next door to us the apartment next to us that uh he was a godly man. The family was a godly family. They're the ones that invited us to the Nikki Cruz thing. And uh, so uh, we were, uh, I remember I was on, I was on, okay, I'm not going to be happy till I'm the president of this, uh, this corporation. You know, I, I was one of these. I was pushing, pushing, going to climb that corporate ladder. And this gentleman was a steel tire. 
And I remember asking one day, I said, now, are you really getting this steel tying trade down so that uh, you can start your own construction company? And, and, and I could just see how he could, would want to just branch out like that. And he looked at me kind of funny. He said, no. He said, you know, I have a, I have a good life. I have a, a wonderful wife. I have neat kids. I make good money doing what I'm doing. And uh, I just uh, am, am content just doing what the Lord wants me to do right now. And I couldn't buy that. It was hard for me to understand someone not wanting to be climbing and getting ahead and all this stuff. But he had a peace about him. You could see it in his eyes. And I wanted what he had. You see, it showed. The fruit of his agenda showed. Again, there have been a, I remember my mom. Sometimes other people have agendas for us. And my mom helped instill this agenda. Get ahead, be somebody, all that sort of stuff. She's the one who helped instill that. And it was a great disappointment to her whenever the Lord called me into the ministry because ministers didn't make any big money, you know, I mean. And so she had to kind of readjust things because I was going the way she wanted me to go and rah, 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 you know. But now then, you don't want to do that. And so finally, she was trying, she was accepting the fact that I was going to do it whether she wanted me to or not. And she said, okay, then whatever you get your big church. And, uh, and I said, I may never serve a large church. I may just serve a little bitty congregation, but I'm just going to be where the Lord puts me. And she was upset all over again, you know, because I had no ambition. My ambition was to please him. And I, have just as much joy and completion standing before you as I do standing before 600 or 6,000. It makes no difference because my first priority is to please him. And he wanted y'all to hear this this morning. So, um, but let me tell you, later on in her later years, my mom and my dad had to come live in a, an assisted living center uh, in the town where we were. And I'd pick them up every Sunday morning and take them to church. And she got to come in to this big church, huge church, and sit down toward the front where her preacher, her, 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 her little boy was the preacher. And he was on TV all over the community. We owned the community of a television station. And so we, uh, I was broadcast all over town and people knew me. I'd stand in line to go through a, a, a cafeteria or something. People come up to me and talk to me about what they heard me preaching on. I was pastor to many people that I never even saw because they watched me on TV when they couldn't go to church. Well, so... She died having been fulfilled that her son was a success, you know, and I'm happy for her for that. 
but I'm and I'm going. But anyway, but there's so many people that even after they come to the Lord, it's, what's my big ministry going to be? You know, and uh, uh, we have a friend, Marsha Kendall's her name. She uh, started out; she was going the wrong way. The Lord <coughs> radically saved her, and then he. Uh, he, uh, she, she started wondering, okay, well, Lord, what's my ministry going to be? What's my big ministry? Is it going to be a, she could sing. She was very talented. What do you want me to do? And what he had her do was tie a scarf on her head, take a mop bucket and a bunch of uh, cleaning supplies and a mop and different things and uh, go knock on some poor harried young mother's door. And whenever she opened up, says, hi, I'm your maid for the day. The Lord sent me and clean that young lady's house. That's where he had her start. And he had her start at the bottom. And, and but then she wound up to where she was the head of an international ministry. But she makes it clear the way you start in doing what the Lord wants you to do. You start doing what you can where you are with what you got. And every day that you do that, you're a success. No matter how great or how small, how insignificant it might look in the eyes of the world, you'll have someone in the shadows that night as you lay your head on your pillow who smiles and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. And there's a peace that comes from that that the world will never know. So how do you get there? I'm going to just go through real quickly uh, some of the things. I would say, first of all, to make sure your agenda is lining up with this. First, study the Bible and study it as God's Word, not as some work of literature. This is God's word. Study it as such. Fellowship with other believers. It says, as iron sharpeneth iron. You know, that's what believers do to each other as we share about the Lord. We help keep each other on track. Fellowship with other believers. Look at what's going on around you and listen to what God's saying to you. As you're looking around, don't just look with your own agenda. Listen to your conscience. Now, whenever I say listen to your conscience, there's two sides of that. There's some things that the Lord has just put there. He's taught you right from wrong. You know right from wrong. You need to listen to that. There are other things that you're going to wind up feeling guilty about doing and all that aren't from the Lord at all. And so you need to listen to your conscience and grow through your conscience by bearing your conscience before the Lord. And then as you do that daily, your agenda will line up more and more with his and you'll start to have that peace that Jesus promised, a peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. Amen.